introduction. You may be wondering what to expect here, and frankly, so am I. Feel Free to Deviate is a podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I am the host. My career is nebulous, and I don't always know what success is, but sometimes I feel it. Mostly I don't. While growing up, I had a few childish dreams, but never any actual goals. And I basically stumbled my way to where I am today, which is unemployed. I'm a middle-aged guy who never figured out what he wanted to be when he grew up. And employed or not, I'm guessing that I'm not alone. I'm starting this podcast because I want to talk to some folks who seem like they figured at least a few things out. Or not. This is not an instruction manual, and I don't have any answers. I just want to see how other people do it. I want to know how they got to where they are, whether deliberately or haphazardly, and I want to know how they feel about their position in the workplace, whichever workplace they are in. I expect the stories to vary wildly, and I'm hoping to find some inspiration or maybe some consolation or commiseration in knowing that things don't always go as planned or as expected. If you have any feedback or anything else, all correspondences should be sent to mail at feelfreetodeviate.com. You can also check out the website, feelfreetodeviate.com. It has more information about the show and more information about me and more information about all of the guests, past, present, and future. Well, not future yet, but in the future, there will be information about the future guests. In the beginning, I'm going to be talking to a lot of people with arts-based careers. It just so happens that I know a lot of what the job market calls creatives. I feel like the concepts we're talking about can relate to any sector, and I'm going to talk to some other folks as well. For instance, episode three features Bjorn. He's a developer turned manager type guy. Expect more diversity as time marches on. Got an architect lined up, and hopefully a guy who makes alternative forms of pasta. Of course, I also have a lot more art people on the list. Regardless of the field, I think patterns will emerge when you, the listener, absorb the episodes over time, and I expect the format and sound quality to evolve. I'll give updates on my progress and the show's progress in interest to future episodes, and I'll share my feelings on relevant matters. I want to make this work, and I hope you find it interesting and perhaps entertaining. Let me know what you think, and thanks for giving me a chance. My guest on this inaugural episode of Feel Free to Deviate is Dorona Alberti. In addition to being a friend, she's a performer, perhaps best known as the singer of the band Gare du Nord. We talk about her unconventional upbringing, her education at a place called The Rock Academy, and the ups and downs of being a performing artist. It's long, but it's fun. Oh, another minor note. There are a few shits, maybe a fuck, and I'm pretty sure there's one dick in there, but it's not gratuitous. If you or someone in your vicinity can't handle a tiny bit of colorful language, you probably shouldn't listen. Without further ado, this is episode one of Feel Free to Deviate. He said you should always just drink room temperature water. True. That made a lot of sense to me. And actually, it, it's true. Cold water is really bad. Yeah. Your every muscle gets sort of shocked. Mm-hmm. So tense. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to to relax your vocal cords is if 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 it's room temperature or something that's like also I drink very hot tea, but that's also not that great. Not on the job though. Uh I well, I do a lot of stuff that's not necessarily good. I mean, I drink alcohol, which is not that great, uh, but I drink only one certain kind of alcohol, which is red port wine, because 
port wine warms you from the inside. That means that you get warm and yeah. that means loose and that means relaxed. So I Can I can I just interrupt and say here that because this is a new podcast, I don't have any advertisers. So I'd like to reach out to all the port wine manufacturers <laughs> in the world. If you'd like to send some money my way, that'd be good. Port wine. Port Can wine. Or to me. That's fine too. <laughs> it keeps the juices flowing. It keeps you warm hearted. Keeps you in top loose. form. <laughs> you can perform. You can do it all. Port wine. Port this, wine. This podcast is brought to you by Port Wine. <laughs> this is this is not starting the way I envisioned it. How did you envision it? I don't know. Did you envision <laughs> anything or did you just let it I have some loose notes. I actually was just consulting them here, but they're not here. They're on my phone. I didn't actually intend to talk about room temperature water, but on but it happened on a semi-related note. Yeah, that same guy. Yeah, we used to argue about reverb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I was. What I was. What thinking. did you play? I was a singer. You were a singer. Yeah. And did you want reverb or didn't you? I want didn't reverb? want reverb. And At all? No, and that's the thing because I was like, I don't need effects, man. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> and Johnny was just like, Johnny Ward, if you're out there. Hi. <laughs> hi. It's been a long time. Also, you were right about the reverb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like a lot of reverb. No. Because then you get this bathroom thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't necessarily want that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the thing, like I said earlier, I, I, I do stuff that's not necessarily good for my vocals, chords. Yeah. I do not warm up. If I do, I only do stuff that, to loosen it up, to, to relax all your muscles in your throat area. Mm. The reason why I also don't do these things is if I have my machine well-oiled, I sound like a Disney princess. And I don't necessarily <laughs> want to sound like a Disney princess. Now, there's a thing with singers. We uh, Very often, most singers don't want to sound the way they sound. And this is a big thing. Because if you're not happy with the way you sound, you don't don't sound the best you can. So I'm I'm a very lucky girl. I have very good vocal cords. They can do all kinds of gymnastics. I also did acting, and a lot of people ask me, "So yeah, you're an actress?" I was like, "No, I'm not an actress. I'm a performer. There's a big difference." But as I am also more a performer than a singer, that means that words or the stories you express that is the main thing and that colors the way you sound i like it when it's not always pure or on the money or on the i love it when it's a bit flat sometimes i love it when it's ugly sometimes because sometimes the story you, you sing or tell is ugly there is no use in making it sound like here comes the vocal exercises again. I don't want to sound like a Disney princess mm -hmm. if I'm because I do not sing Disney princesses songs. I sing songs that are also a bit black inside sometimes, or hurtful, or mean, or sexy. There's a lot you can say about princesses, but they don't tend to be that sexy. I, I don't really know a lot of princesses. You don't. <laughs> But uh, I, 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 I feel what you're saying. Some of my favorite recordings are very imperfect. And 
imperfection is the thing. Yeah. There's, I always say that my most favorite moments on stage is when we screw up. Totally. Because then you have to go find each other. Well, it's also how you know it's live. For, for one thing. <sighs> And But you have to go find each other. You have to find out, okay, where are we? You should never stop. Ever. No, no, Not totally. ever. You have these, you look at each other and you're sort of like, oh, like ooh, ooh. <laughs> where are you? I don't know where you are. I cannot get it. Mm-mm. And you start finding each other. And that's the moment when you're most together. And not only with the musicians, but also with the audience. That's the shitty thing with Corona right now. I cannot perform. Yes, you do it with the musicians. First and foremost, you always do it together, but you also do it with the audience. And every evening, every room, every place you are, every moment is different. So you prepare your art. So you bring all the stuff you need and you take it with you on stage. But it's on that stage, on that very moment, there and then with those people with your mood, the way you got up, the way everyone got up, if if you have a headache or whatever, uh, half of the audience had a big fight, there was parking shit going on, all this stuff gets taken with them into that room and makes that song at that moment that way. And that's what it's all about. Words and all. Also, just because you're hyper aware of something not going 100% to plan, the audience doesn't necessarily know. I mean, if they're super fans, maybe they'll be like, oh, that's not like the recording. And then maybe they'll freak out, but they probably won't because they're also in the moment anyway. And the brain tends to fill in the blanks exactly where there are gaps. Like if you're watching TV and there's a glare on it, the brain can filter that glare out. Yeah. And I, 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 I used to make stage photographs and I deliberately made the staging very rough because nobody cares. Nobody noticed. For example, I made one, there's an American game show called Jeopardy. Yeah. And, um, from memory, I just made a podium for Jeopardy and I made a picture of myself. Like I was a contestant on that show (laughs) and it did like, really, if you looked at it, it looked nothing like the Jeopardy set and still, (laughs) But I posted a picture of it outside of my office and students at the school kept would would repeatedly ask me, oh, were you on Jeopardy? Were you on Jeopardy? Like, yeah. But that was kind of the thing. And if you look closely at the at the photograph, you can see hot glue. And you can see <laughs> you can see I, I made I made very little effort to conceal the hopes. my hand. Yeah. yeah. Like I and and. You know, I have thumbtacks and, and yeah. like all kinds of like it, I just leave it there because. That's part it's of the it. illusion. Yeah. yeah, and also, yeah, it's it's does it, it doesn't it doesn't. But that's need to be... art. That, that's that's yeah, that's art too. You know, the illusion, the the world you create, you you make. Um, there are rules. I I have this. I I give uh, sometimes I give performing lessons, and uh, and it's called the law of 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 the stage. They come to your show. Hmm. They sometimes pay money. And sometimes they just pay time. And you promise to give your all on stage. Now, this is my big thing. I, I think there's a lot of people who don't do that. And I think they should be banned. These are laws. I get on stage. I give you my all. You give me your time and you 
you give me your attention and you are not here to judge me or to burn me. You're you're coming here to experience something and I'm I'm here to give you everything I can to have you experience something that you would not experience walking down the street. And that makes it a performance. It's very intimate, actually. And and it's very naked. But because of those rules, it's also the most safe place to be. Because there's on stage you cannot be too little, too short, too too big, too tall, too ugly, too uh, too nasty, too sappy. You just are, and it's it's a given, and we embrace it as long as you give it your all. Otherwise, it's fake, and then you should be gone. If you're not true, <laughs> then you should be punched in the face. I want to punch so many people's faces. I do too. <laughs> so many faces need to be punched. But that's a thing. But I also want to be open and accepting exactly. of people and things. And, and it's a conflict and deep the, inside. Yeah. And, and I feel it every day. Not hourly. But often. But often. But that's the shit thing when you're an artist. <laughs> I don't even know if it has to do with me. I don't, I don't even know if I can still consider myself an artist. But I can. I wrestle with these things. And I, I think that there are, whether they are from upbringing or if it's like a deep thing in the core of my being, I, I have moderately violent tendencies, but I'm very good at controlling them. It's hard, though. <laughs> if you're passionate about life in general... And passionate about making connect. Connection is also such a word that is totally tainted now. But I'm that's, connecting with you. Yeah. Well, blah, <laughs> only if I want you to, you know. But but that's but if I have to, you know, you have this triangle that you can say which is your mission in life and stuff like that. The, the NLP, whatever, neurolinguistic program, blah blah. Whoa. Um, then you have this triangle, and on top of it is your mission, and I. I know what my mission in life is, and it is connection, making connection. But it sounds so yucky, but it is. And that's what I that's what I do all well before Corona, because now it's not allowed. It's all right, never allowed. mind Corona, just keep going. Yeah. But um <laughs> but that's what I do. I see a lot of stuff. I see a lot of people, I read people, I, I see that sometimes they just need a hug, sometimes they need a little kick in the butt, sometimes they need a cheer me up I don't know if I touch people's back I can feel where there's knots I think that we used to as humans be able to communicate through time and distance like elephants do and dolphins do but we got really bad at it so some people feel more and some people feel less I, I don't really know much about the communication habits of elephants but I'm glad that you brought up the connection and that that's your mission because that's kind of why I'm sitting here. You're sitting here <laughs> because I don't have a mission. Oh, I guess my mission now is to talk about these things on this podcast. To find your mission. To find a mission. You said that you know what your mission is. How long have you known? Um, that's a good question. I've known, I mean, I've known between brackets for a long time, but 
to really know it, to really feel it and sort of own it, I think a few years now. Okay. Oh, so it's it's a relatively recent development. You you weren't like a child sitting in. Oh yeah. In... Oh no. I th- I think I used to say that my mission was harmony. Also, something that goes everyone goes like. That's Puke. very sweet. But um, <laughs> I, when I feel a thunderstorm coming over someone's head, I would used to do anything possible to make that storm drift away. This, of course, all has has everything to do with how you grew up, with your life experiences that you have. Um, how, how did you grow up? I grew up unconventional, but very loving. Um, unconventional, how? Like there were carnies or something? <laughs> well, I always thought I was one, actually. Um, um, I don't want to offend any carnies who might be listening. No, I didn't say I that in a carnies. derogatory way. Yeah. I'm just say I think it's very. I think it's generally accepted that carny the carny lifestyle is unconventional. Yeah, and um, I always wanted to be one. Actually, when I grew up, what did you want to do? Yeah, actually, I wanted to have a traveling circus when I was a kid. Uh, this you is you wanted a... to be a performer or the ringmaster. No. <laughs> both <laughs> both i guess you could be both right yeah you can and actually my 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 family they um they they lied to me about while growing up um they actually my whole family from my mama's side and her then boyfriend my sort of dad they all told me stories before bed about the time that we were still circus alberti what and um, this was something my mom and her brothers and sisters played in their attic when they were younger. And But they all pl- played along in this story. And they would tell me their adventures before I went to bed. The traveling circus, uh, like gypsies. And uh, my grandmother, she would have an act with horses. And my, fa- and my grandfather was the, was the director. And my mom was in the trapeze. And my aunt was the, uh, walked on, on a rope. And you know, they all talked about this. And, um, and I believed them, of course. Uh, and they were wonderful stories and wonderful adventures. And they set me off dreaming. And then I would make up my own stories and... And I would uh, um, remodel the the people wagons, the you know the the trailers, the, the trailers, but, yeah. but the one the old fashioned ones with yeah. a horse in front of it mm-hmm. and stuff. And we, my grandparents had one on their on their farm for the chickens, but I confiscated it and I remodeled it. Was it yours? And was mine and the chickens? Uh, well, if I yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and um, you know, when you're a kid, you you believe everything. Uh, you see the world through the eyes of the people who love you and take care of you. And um, there's no question, really. At some point around your seventh and eighth year, yeah. this, this awareness kicks in. And you, then you go like, that's not possible. Like, my grandfather also had an act. He would jump over the circus tent. And I believed this always, until I was about seven. And it I would said, be like, pretty amazing. I said, like, that's just physically not possible. And then they all caved in and said, no, you're right. It's not. Did you feel betrayed? or I did. You did. But nonetheless, it seems like it planted a seed. Uh, It did also. (laughs) No, I mean, I I have in my my first solo show, Käsebrot, that's a German show. There's this one song. It's called Münchhausen. And it's about 
Germany actually and about the eventually it goes about that we'll never go want to go to war anymore. But the chorus is um, lies, lies, lies. But it would be so beautiful if only just a bit of it were true. And the guy who tells those lies, he tells them so beautifully that you really, really wish it were so. Mm. That song for me is my story about the circus Alberti. Some stories you desperately need to be true because it tells you a story of a more beautiful world or a more peaceful world that you just need it to be true. Art is sappy. Passion be. is sappy. It's just the thing. That's just it. Can be, yeah. Even if you make punk, it's still sappy because you do, because you're angry, because you feel misunderstood and you want to express that. You need to express it. And from that comes someone who is vulnerable because if you're angry, you're vulnerable, you're hurt. And that still makes it sappy. Sure, sure. It's like thoughts coming from outside of the the default mode network. It's just it's not necessarily guided by logic. It's just it just is. It's an unfiltered observation. Yeah. Something like that. So it's sappy. If it's true, sappy is good. All right, sappy's okay, but um how how did you deal with how did you deal with 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 this this information after you received it? So now you feel a little bit betrayed, I was but you angry. still went on, you still went on and you you became a performer. <laughs> maybe I, yeah, maybe because of not it. In I don't circus. I'm not sure. Not in a circus, but it still is my dream to have a small performance in a small circus stand. For real? Yes. I did not know this. No. no you, now you know. Just so anyone who might be listening to this knows, I, I, I already know Dorona. So I know some stuff about her. I'm asking questions, but I already know some stuff about her. He thinks he knows me. I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I don't claim to know her or anyone else. I've just, I just know. I know some stuff about her already. <laughs> Yeah. More than you do, probably. Especially, I assume that most people listening to this are not going to be Dutch people. Well, if they are American. Yeah. My singing career started with a now American, German-American band called KMFDM. I know. And I wanted to ask you about that because <laughs> I think I, I sent you the thing before on the music software that I use. It showed it. Oh, I looked I looked up uh, Gardinor, her band. She was in a band called Gardinor. Um, they're very popular in Benelux. Europe, Germany, Act, I don't know. Also America, actually. but Also America, not, not evidently, that, I'm sorry. Not, not, but small. Not in, yeah, no. not, not, not not in my sphere of, no. of influence. I, I, I'm just, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was a young person, a long time ago, <laughs> I, I was aware of the existence of KMFDM. I know that they are a drug against war. They have a record called that, yeah. That's the only thing I know about them. I don't believe I've ever even listened to it, but I uh, was familiar enough to see that. And then in the listing under Garden Noir that you were previously f- affiliated with them, and I was just like, huh? How, huh? Does, how, does, that, how does that happen? Well, that <laughs> happens. KMFDM uh, is keine Mitleid für die Mehrheit. That means no pity for the majority. It's an industrial metal band mm-hmm. um they have their origin in hamburg how did i end up there well uh i grew up with my mom when i was very young she met a german guy who i see as my dad and he has many sisters and one of them uh, dated an ash which was the second man from kmfdm 
And Sasha Konieczko, who is the band leader, whatever, founder. The founder, yeah, I guess that um, would be his, his title. Um, he was a friend of that family and he plucked me away before a car when I was three. Oh. So I've known, well, known him. I knew of him. Later, another good friend of ours, uh, who is an artist, a painter from Maastricht, Le Mischeres, he did stuff with their band. He made um, dirty lyrics and he sang a few of their songs when they were still in Hamburg. And when I was 14, their backup singer fell pregnant. And um, I got a phone call from Sasha and said, I hear you sing. Could you come to Hamburg and sing on our record? And I said, sure. So I got on a train, I got to Hamburg, and this was my first time in a studio, and they put on a track. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been pretty cool though, right? <laughs> and then they handed me some lyrics and said like, okay, do your thing. Do it. <laughs> so I figured, okay, that's how it works. And I sang. I sang soul vocals to their industrial metal. I did that on seven or eight records when a few years later they i think i went to hamburg twice and then they moved to america and i thought well that would be the end of it but it wasn't so i flew there i think five times to oh, record cool. another well that's that pretty sounds, exciting that sounds very cool but yeah. <laughs> at the end you know you fly to the states as a youngster and you sit in a cellar in a record, basement in a studio <laughs> somewhere you don't see much daylight it's a lot of waiting you're a and, teenager <laughs> you know um but I did that, and um, because they always just hand me stuff and said, do something that made me approach music very freely. Yeah. I thought that was the way it worked. And I actually still think it does. It sort of uh, imprinted me on the kind of singer I am now. I love to improvise a lot. I love total improvisation where you just get with anyone on stage and you go like one, two, three, and then you go. And you, I love the moment to have the it's what it what sure. we talked about earlier yeah it's of course the moment you do it together and if you put yourself open sometimes it's really really great what comes out and this is the way i approach music so kmfdm yeah i did that for uh, seven or eight records and it doesn't matter that i only sang jazz standards or soul i i hate fake and i hate Everything has to be labeled. What kind of singer are you? Oh, will you just shut up? I'm a singer. What, one of my least favorite questions is, what kind of music do you like? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are you, you what talking you about? Like, good music? <laughs> I like it when it's awesome. Yeah, or when it's really shitty. Or, yeah, or I, I like it when it makes me feel, feel something. something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. But I mean, they have to do that probably to sell it. You know, what kind of music does she make? I and only listen to alt rock. I, I think there are no rules and there are no labels in music or there shouldn't be. And the thing is, people love labeling stuff and they, they really need do. it to hold on to their existence. Yeah. But it makes it way more difficult to find your path if you don't label or you don't want to be labeled and this is exactly where my problem is i mean i do have a mission and that's to connect 
I played in KMFDM. Well, I recorded with them. Um, and I was and still am, uh, but we're on sabbatical in Gardinor. And I did that two and a half years on stage, 12 and a half years, sorry, on stage. And now we have been on sabbatical for a while. In Holland, we are the best sold jazz album ever. Yeah, buddy. That means actually that one in four people has my album. It's so crazy, isn't it? It is, but nobody knows who I am. Well, that's 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 kind. Of, that's another thing that I kind of want to talk about. Do you think of yourself as being successful? Do you wake up in the morning and you're like, "Yeah, I did it"? Like, no. because you've you've played with all these bands, you you have a successful recording career with Garden Nord. It's not necessarily your band, but it's like a thing. And then you have all these side projects that you that you do yeah. on your own. You're a working artist. You're you're making a living doing the thing that you love to do. Yeah. Are you famous and rich? No. No. <laughs> but, Not at all. But I think that that's that's something that as people get to a certain age, they sort of have to come to grips with the fact that just because you haven't reached fame or fortune doesn't necessarily mean that you're unsuccessful. It's something that I think about because I consider myself very unsuccessful because I don't know what I want to do. But if you are doing the things that you want to do and you're actively working towards performing, making connections, following your mission, as you say, then to me, that means that you are a success. Sometimes. Okay, so you don't necessarily feel that way. Um, well, that question has more answers than one. It does. I know. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because um, it took me a long time to go solo yeah. to make my own shows. Yeah. And actually, I've only done two. Uh-huh. One is Kezebrot, which was a show that I really needed to make. Everyone told me I was crazy doing a German German show. Uh, everyone said you should take all your fans from Gardinor and you should grasp them and then you are successful because the problem is that everyone knows Gardinor nobody knows the name of the singer they all probably know me yeah because i am the face of course also, you are you are the you're like the president of the band I mean, you better yes but <laughs> the they don't know what what my name is and no. this is a problem yeah uh, that that makes me not so sellable yeah. which is if you need to label me, because you need to label me to sell me, this is a big problem. This is a big problem for everyone who wants to sell my show. Then I go make a show that is very unconventional. I have a cello and a piano and a voice doing from hip-hop to classical to punk to the music from the 30s. Then I gave that all of my own spin, but I needed to make that show. So I was not concerning myself with what was commercially smart, which probably wasn't very smart, but I just needed to do that. Then I made a show with music from James Bond. Yeah. And I approached the biggest, most famous, best orchestra that we have in Holland that is world-renowned, actually, the Metropole Orchestra. I called them. I did that twice, actually. I did it eight years ago, and I did it four years ago. And I said, I have a good idea. Everyone compares me to Shirley Bassey. I can sing her tunes. I'm a good performer. You're the best orchestra. And I think we should do James Bond music. I think that is a match made in heaven. 
they didn't get the right to project images from the film and that's why they wouldn't do it. This time around, there was someone else, artistic leader, and uh, I've known him a little, so I called him again and we were drinking coffee a week later and then we did it. And we were in the middle of that show because I'm doing it with them and I'm doing it the way everyone knows the Bond songs. I gave myself, again, some liberty to make the smaller show where we're only with 10 people on stage instead of, or nine, I mean, on stage instead of with 55. That makes it, again, very difficult to sell, uh, again, with my name not being known. So am I successful? Uh, Am I selling a lot of tickets? No. Am I making a lot of money? No. Do I always know what I want to make? Definitely no. Um, So I'm always in doubt. I'm always not sure. I don't go straight for my goals. This makes me very unsuccessful indeed. And it makes me not live up to my full potential. In that way, I'm unsuccessful. But I do sort of make a living with my passion. Uh, which is practically impossible to live of your music in Holland. I th- in any arts related, uh, uh, unless ex- you're, the same. you know, selling advertisement, then I think that it's, yeah, it's pretty hard. Exactly. And I'm not famous enough to be asked to do advertisement. No. So, <laughs> but if you're out there, <laughs> if you're out there and you want someone who's like really good on camera and, you know, and fun and, uh, yeah, okay, a bit old maybe, but, you know, st- and not very slim or st- not model looking, but still. Well, there, there's a trend now to have more realistic looking people on camera. Well, then you could ask me. I'm very realistic, of course. But I look um, like a person. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But I am, of course, very happy that I get to do what I'm doing now. But I did a lot of different studies. It took me a very long time yeah. to get where I am. And I started in Gardunor and when I was 31. And then I was getting more and more successful because I got more and more room to put my stamp on it and take my liberties and freedom and then started making my own shows, which I needed to do. I probably should have done it way sooner. Yes. But well, I'm, sorry. you know, but I'm <laughs> all over the place always. You know, being an artist doesn't necessarily mean that you're very organized. No, it doesn't. I mean, I know a lot of people who have arts careers, whether they're making money or not, doesn't really matter. I'm thinking specifically for someone like you, I can imagine that when you started with Gardu Noor, all of a sudden it was a giant shift forward in publicity and and not not, not when he started because you have to see that Gardu Noor was a project, it's not a band. Yeah, and these guys were not out there. They oh, made they records and they were very successful, but yeah. nobody knew who they were. There oh. were two guys. They weren't friends. They were put together to make a CD for a lifestyle event. They're like a and sessions band or something. No, not even a band. There was one producer and one, um, let's say, journalist. And they were asked to comp- compilate a, a, a CD for a lifestyle event. And they were put together for that. And they did. And the CD was to be printed, I think, two and a half thousand times by Pias Belgium for this event. The people there listened to it, of course, before printing it. And he said, like, it's really cool. Can we not print some more and just throw yeah. it out there? And this was the time that Saint-Germain was out and big. So these were all projects. These were not 
people necessarily, not photos. This was not a face. These were all project bands put together, and that was hip at that time. So they said, like, yeah, sure, throw it out there. And then there was a huge, huge, huge hit on there. And one another hit that was a big scandal because of 9-11. And and he he made a song called The Dark Chill and people What was what was the what was the problem with 9-11? I don't know. Uh well he he uh, Ferdi Lancet, who who was a musical producer from this album, got the news of 9-11 and he heard it on the news and he recorded it and he was so in shock that he went into his studio and made a sort of soundtrack with, with pieces of the of the new of the news of, okay. of 9-11 and it's a very chilling very I love the song actually but it people were some people loved it some people were offended you know okay, so right, it's yeah. sort of too soon too soon yeah but he like artists do took yeah, the situation yeah, sure. yeah, and translated it yeah he had to get yeah. it out right I understand but it was on there and um they had been they had been making a few albums and they tried to tour at some point. It wasn't a big success. And they came to this point after five years, said like, okay, are we gonna continue this? Because if we do, we need somebody on stage. We need somebody who's not to, an old guy. Who's not an old guy who can entertain. We have to we have to go play live. And um Ferdi already knew me because he, he he, he taught at the Rock Academy where I was at. at the Rock moment. Academy. The Rock Academy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he knew me from there and he said like, well, um, he had been following me for a while because he said there's not many performers out there, but she's one of them and yeah. we need to have her. So I came over and uh, I met uh, with Baron Franze, the other guy, and they asked me, I actually got a text message, do you want to do something with Gadi Now, I knew him very well because he helped me w- with my exams. And then I said, sure. And I thought I would sing one or maybe two tunes right. on their new CD, which probably could have happened if it weren't for Marvin and Mouse, which was the first song that we recorded. And it was sort of a one or two taker. And it was... It was just it was, good. It was, it was totally my song. Yeah. And then I ended up singing or... Um, making sounds on uh, 11 of the 13 tracks and that was the album Sex and Jazz and that was massively successful but we didn't expect it we were totally on a roll because we had no idea and it was just going and then we played in uh, theaters most of the time the people in our audiences were 75 and older oh for real they all thought like oh it's music and it's <laughs> jazz okay sex and jazz they probably didn't know what i don't know what they thought but they were all these great people, people don't know what sex is apparently not <laughs> so they were all there with their gray hairstyles and but we got a sports make getting them up and dance and we always did and we had a lot of fun playing live at the beginning there were three singers so the two guys and me and then there was a band and it started to be me more and more and more and more. Right, right. You were kind of like Fergie with the black eyed peas. Exactly. You were Fergie. I was Fergie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know why we started this. I postulated that that was kind of a career changing yeah. moment. So it wasn't, I mean, it was, but it wasn't because it went slowly. And I had played in many bands before. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah, were of course. All, you know. But it seems like these, like this, this band in particular, like you say, like it was kind of, an unexpected hit, but it became 
big. Much bigger than any of the other bands yeah. you were in, besides maybe KMFDM. Like, I have no idea how big they ever were. But they were huge, but I was never on their live. Yeah, I was yeah, never yeah, okay. with them live. You weren't a proper member. You were no, like I was, studio credit. I was a studio person. Yeah. yeah. But then, but then, okay, so, so then you're in this band, this machine, this industry. Do you take ownership of it? Do you feel good about it? Are you doing yeah. it because it feels like a job? Or do you do, is there love? Or do you just always think, I want to do this crazy German thing? I want to no. do. No, at first, I, I never even thought about it. I mean, I knew at some point there were some things I wanted to do. But I definitely wasn't solid enough to to go and do it. Right. There was a lot of love in Gadunor, and then of course there was also some marital problems that you have. That happens in bands. It's okay. It yeah. <laughs> and um, and then there were big changes, and then there was a newfound love, and then then it sort of got uh, doing the same thing and not transforming as much as I wanted it to. Right. 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 And not being as creative as I wanted it to be, and uh, yeah. on stage and off stage, and so then this urge was there to create. And then I was turning forty, and then I figured, like, if I want to do that, then uh, I should start doing it. But I was scared to do it because who knew who I was and right, who right, wanted right, to right. work with me, and it was a big uh, threshold for me to approach other musicians and this is another answer to your question are you successful i still feel very insecure about myself as an artist but on the other hand i know that i'm a very good singer and i know that i have my own way and my own sound in that way i am successful but i'm unsuccessful in trying to get myself out there trying to ask people to work with me sure um oh, well it's 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 putting yourself out there it's 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 definitely hard yeah but it's also because i'm i'm very bad at at uh, at the the theoretical side of music because i i have a terrible failure fever for it and nobody ever believes that it's possible for somebody with a big mouth like me <laughs> but it definitely it's a very good way to cover up being uh, shy or um, um, or insecure is to have a huge blabber mouth. Sure. Then people say like, "You're not insecure." So like, you don't know what's going on in here, man. Well, you don't. No, but for real, I I used to imagine that every morning David Bowie would wake up and just feel total <sighs> total contentment. He's like, "I am a legend. <laughs> <laughs> I have done it. I have mastered it all. I am David Bowie." But I can imagine that he just woke up like everybody else and had his day. I mean, maybe he didn't have like a side hustle because he sold <laughs> eight bazillion records in his life. But but he. I hope but, not. That would, I would be too bad. But speaking about him, I, I think that he was also painfully aware of his position. I don't think that he. Now, I'm not criticizing Dave Bowie. <laughs> I love David Bowie. I do too. But, but uh, as an old time David Bowie fan, some of his later records maybe could be considered hit or miss but but it's all a journey one of the things that i really appreciate about late career david bowie is that he would just pop up on young guys records yeah. like he would do backup vocals on like uh what's that band called the guys i think they're from brooklyn hmm? did he yeah, he would just be on like backup vocals on different records oh christ i can't remember the name now it doesn't matter the point is that 
he wasn't like, I'm David Bowie. You're on your own. He's just like, oh, I appreciate that you are young people who might like my body of work. And I'm more than happy to sing backup on your record. Yeah. I think that is the coolest thing yeah. in the world. Yeah, It's like true awareness. Well, and also that you just really love what you do. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's successful or not when it comes oh, the, to the, that. The, make no mistake, the record he was on was very, very successful. No, no, but even if it wasn't, you know, he, he, he might not even have thought about it. TV on the radio. Not. Okay. That was the band. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wake up feeling like Superman, but I know that what I do, sure. I, I'm very good at what I do. Right. But I also you've been doing it for years. Yeah, not only that, but I, 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 I believe, of course, I believe, it's my conviction that no, I have to go back. I also did conservatory um, one year, and um, I've never been so terrified in my life to sing when than when I was there. Yeah, I never sang as little as I did when I was there. Huh. Um, all they asked was, "Will you be doing jazz, blues, world music, right, right, or right. classical?" <laughs> and I just said, "Like, huh?" <laughs> I didn't like that part of my education because it only taught me to be scared of whatever came out that I should be labeled, and it was never about just making mistakes. And by making mistakes, finding an answer to a question that you probably didn't know you had. I just wanted to comment that uh, every time you say Rock Academy. You start to laugh. Kind of. Yeah, I Be did too. Because the name is very silly. It is very silly. It You know, it makes me feel like, like I'm watching a teenage movie and they're like, we're going to the Rock Academy, man. Definitely that. I Actually, I said that when, um, no, I have to, there's a story to that. I was in the conservatory of Rotterdam and I had band, uh, band coaching. Yeah. So there was this band for the moment, um, and everyone in that band would hand in a song that we would do together. Mm -hmm. The song I handed in was Cry Me a River by Julie London, not Timberlake. Julie okay. London, it's a it's standard. Cry Me a River. Except, well, it's, <laughs> uh, it's the same lyric, actually. That's only that sentence. <clears throat> it's, um, it's a standard uh, by Hamilton. Guy Hamilton. And um, as I am very bad at the theory of music, um, I made drawings on the chalkboard with dynamics, the buildup of the song, the what the song was about, where it needed to be more heavy, where it needed to be light, uh, the way we... Uh, every standard is built up by an A part, a B part, and a C part, mm -hmm. a bridge part. Um, now, this is also a discussion definitely done here in Holland that says you have to do A, B, A, B, C, oh, A, yeah. B. Um, and this is shit, and it's not true. The only reason for standards to exist, now I'm getting very worked up because I'm jazz is something that we totally do not get in Holland. But um, <laughs> when I'm concerned, when what I think about it, jazz is a state of mind, and it's... it's, it's um, it's just uh, some extra colors to a language and well never mind so i made all these drawings and um um so i started to explain this song to me and at after the bridge i wanted to have a solo like you have an old jazz standards there's some room for solos 
And I asked the guitarist, could you maybe play a solo? And if you wouldn't mind, I would love it if you put a little distortion on your guitar. Distortion, you know, from the industrial metal that came out, a little bit ugliness, a little bit more tang on it. And he looked at me and he said, distortion? What is that? Come now. Yes, he did. Come he now. He had a beautiful... A Stratocaster and he had a beautiful amp, an old amp, or at least it looked it, and by then it probably was. And he said, like, I don't know what distortion is. Yeah, well, turn that old amp up and you will hear it. It will break apart and sound glorious. Yes, it will. <laughs> so I looked at him and I said, like, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I don't believe you don't know what it is. You no, have, you have, you have, you have turned these these little things up, right? The volumes and you just played around where well, you got it new and then you try everything. Like, how does it work? What, what, what does it sound best? And he hadn't. And at this point, the, the teacher, who was Bertus Borgers, he was a saxophone player, um, well, quite well known. He played with Hermann Brod. Well, he's a big one. He, I know who Hermann, I mean, Hermann, I kind of yeah. know who Hermann yeah, Brod exactly. is. So he pulled me aside and he said, I'm so sorry, girl, but they really don't know what you're talking about. I'm, you're wasting your time. Forget about it. They, they do not understand you. And I was really sad. The only guy who understood me was the bass player, and he is now a tattoo artist. Uh, he was German, and, um, and we, really, we really connected. And I was devastated. Yeah. And um, years later, I got, um, I got this flyer from the rock academy in my post mm -hmm. and this was a new school it had only existed one year before i went there so it had only existed a few months when i got the flyer right and um it was the first pop school there was in holland because by that time the the conservators didn't have pop music they only had jazz blues world music or classical okay Uh, Bertus himself, he was in all kinds of pop bands. So he and another guy from Rotterdam, Bertus uh, Gerard Boontjes, they started a pop academy, actually. And they looked for a name and they made it the Rock Academy. This was the first light music, uh, pop-minded, metal-minded, whatever, rock-minded Something that wasn't traditionally was. taught music, right? It wasn't, so that's the name. But when I got to the Open Dach, um, I also said, like, Rock, rock Academy? Like, <laughs> really? It's the Battle of the Bands, man! <laughs> yeah, but we didn't know that. So I said, like, so can I only sing, like, rock music here? Or is it really bad that I actually only sing jazz music? Or is that not a problem? And does it just apply to your way of teaching? And then that's what it what they said right and um so i went there singing jazz music mostly and finding out all kinds of different music which i already knew but it was lovely to play around with metal and then doing uh, uh soft pop and then doing um, uh, um symphonic rock which is really great to be doing it's very only counting and Bah, but I love it um, because 
and that in that way, that school at that time was really perfect for me because you just did everything and you tried everything. You had to turn the amp up and down and um, we do the technical side ourselves and had to find out how it all worked. And that was really great. So, yes, the name is shitty. The school then was glorious. Now it's, of course, more school. There's more pop academies and like all schools, when it's not a pilot anymore, it's more of a school, but less edgy. So I'm glad that I was there when it was in still a big the, mess. The formal, the seminal years. Yeah. Yeah. Word up. Yep. Word up. So, Rock Academy. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, parting words for for the world? <laughs> for me. For, for me. you. For me. Well, you shouldn't. You, 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 you should be more proud. Of what? Of everything you can do. I can do a lot of things, but nobody cares. That that's that's. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if they care. No, that's the thing. No, but it does when you need to no, pay for things. No. <laughs> Even not that. If I mean, if, if if I had cared about it, then I wouldn't be here no, now. No, right, right. I know, but it's but it's it's a little different because we're a bit older now. Well, we're a little bit older. And we have kids. Also, like when. I work for the same place for nine years. All of a sudden, I don't work there. I have to look for a new job. Yeah. And it's just kind of confronting It is how undesirable I am, it's particularly in the Dutch working environment because of my, my language skills are not tip top. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. I'm not. I don't know. I don't know either. So pause it. I'm going to, well, I'm just going to stop it. And then we're going to eat some cake. Yes. Going to eat some cake. I'm going to make a cup of tea or something. Yay. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. That was it. Episode one. I think it went pretty well. What did I get from this episode? One, you never know when a connection is going to get you a job. Two, being a musician isn't all bright lights and glory. And three, make sure your name is on it. It was a pretty long conversation, so I guess you could pull nuggets of wisdom and or entertainment from anywhere, and I hope you were able to do that. I know it sounds cliche, but there's a lot to be said for doing what you love. This was recorded over a month ago, and I'm happy to say that Dorona has started performing live again. I'm sure that updates will be posted at dorona-alberti.com as more dates are scheduled. I'll check with her and leave some other pertinent links for where you can find her in the show notes. Speaking of show notes, check them for links to social media and all that crap. If you want to contact me for any reason, send a message to mail at feelfreetodeviate.com. Please keep it civil. Also, if you'd like to be featured in a future intro, send me a brief audio recording of yourself telling me what you wanted to be as a kid and what you do now. Or maybe you'd like to send an amusing anecdote about a career misstep. My friend Florian suggested that career missteps would be a nice recurring segment in the show. I agree with him. So please send me an amusing anecdote in written or audio form, and I'll do something with it. Check the Cliporama page on feelfreetodeviate.com for more details. That is the end. Tune in next time for another exciting episode. Thank you for listening, and have an exemplary day. (laughs) 